Hi, and welcome to another success story. I'm really excited because I've got one of my favorite people in the carnivore space with me today, someone I've got a lot of respect for and someone that did some great things, but personally, I found really, really um, impressive. So I've got Dr. Lisa with me, and we're going to talk about her long-term sustainable, you see, carnivore uh, journey. So hi, Lisa. Hi, it's so great to be here, Stephen. I am Dr. Lisa Wiedemann. I've been an optometric physician for over 30 years. I still practice, uh, but I dedicate really now most of my time to my bigger passion, which is trying to get the word out of how extremely healthy and sustainable this way of eating is and how as much as those of us who are in this and do this are looked upon as being the weird ones, the freaky ones. It's everybody else out there eating all that other garbage that comes in a box, a bag, a bottle, and a jar that are the weird ones. We're eating ancestrally what we're supposed to eat. And, um, but it, I get it. It's very difficult to really be in an environment where pretty much everyone around us, our friends, our coworkers, and our family, are either trying to sabotage us to come back to the dark side and enjoy the uh, ice cream and cookies with them, or they're convinced they're convinced we're going to head ourselves straight to a heart attack. And it's funny because nobody gives a crap what we're eating when we're eating pop tarts and donuts and ice cream and nachos and spaghetti. Like nobody thinks twice about being concerned about our health. Now, all of a sudden, when we eliminate all that toxic, poisonous junk, and we're down to fatty meat, eating high saturated fat, eggs, lots of eggs and meat, all of a sudden, the big concern is, right, because of what we've been really brainwashed to believe all these years is that, you know, we're, we are going to get heart disease when you eat too much fatty red meat. So I think that, you know, for me, my journey came about from a very long 30-year history of um, carb addiction, sugar addiction, eating disorder, binge eating. And it was um, it was hell. I, I I could, you know, I often get a little choked up talking about it, about how horrible it was, how how secretive these kind of things are. And not having realized way back then that this was really an addiction, that this stuff called sugar is actually a drug and is more addictive than most other drugs that are out there and more difficult to abstain from um, because it's just considered so normal and everybody around you is laughing and eating it and having a good all time and pushing it on you. And for those of us who suffer um, and uh, either, and it doesn't necessarily have to be from an eating disorder, binge eating background. It could also be suffering from extreme arthritis or depression and anxiety or diabetes. It's just your body is is reacting to those toxins and those poisons. And even once you're told of what to give up, you find it's very, very difficult so everybody, I think, has a on the spectrum of the addiction to the bread, the pasta, the rice, the sugars, the sweets, all that. It's it's really important that we we understand that ultimately none of us should be putting this through our lips. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I think for the people out there that are watching, you're now watching uh, 116 years of experience between us. Yep. We've both been on this planet 58 years. Um, and that leads me on to actually, you're one of the longer term carnivores. And I think you've now into your 13th year. So when you became carnivore, it was not as maybe uh, trending as it is now. So how how was it for you 13 years ago? What what actually made you decide to go carnivore? How did you find out about it? Yeah, so I was really fortunate because this was, um, yeah, back in 2009. This is prior to the big Facebook thing going on. And this was before that. And I was so fortunate to have come upon in my internet searching because I would I was diligently trying to find the answer. I could not get out from under myself with this problem. I'm like, wow, I'm a smart, successful woman here. Why can't I figure this out? And so I happened upon this forum and that Charles Washington created. Uh, it was a small, small group of people that were chatting in a thread over on Jimmy Moore's Living La Low Carb Vita website. And they basically got kicked off because their thread was getting big and they were talking about elimination of carbs and it was, they were eating the zero carb way. And so he decided to make his own forum. And I was so fortunate to uh, happen upon this. And it's, it was really interesting. People in there were journaling and that's how the forum worked. You wrote and other people could read it and add and write to it. And I saw these couple women in there had resolved themselves of eating disorders and binge eating and sugar addiction. And I said, oh, I'm all in. I was, I stayed up until one in the morning reading and the next day, March 9th of 2009. So almost 14 years ago, I just jumped in. I said, well, heck, I don't know if this is healthy, but if it does what those are saying that it's going to do, then I'm in. So I decided to start. And as I did, I kept researching and learning. And I was in with all of those people who were posting like Stephenson's uh, Fat of the Land and Not by Bread Alone and Owsley Stanley's writings. He's been a long, long term carnivore. and. Um, then, and, you know, the Maasai and the Inuit, and we were very, um, you know, very interested in obviously not ruining our own health and really trying to figure out why this works so well, how it works and is it sustainable and is it healthy? And there's no, there's no really great studies, but there were actually those, you know, explorers and there was evidence that this was really healthy. So, I I just as I did it longer and longer and felt great and I just wanted to scream it from the rooftops because I was like wow this is the holy grail here this is amazing and I was reading others resolving themselves of weight issues and different diseases of all sorts and I was like wow 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 and then I started coaching people who were interested but you got to remember there's when you talk about this kind of thing not too many people are thinking anything, but you are crazy. No fruits and vegetables. How are you possibly thinking that's healthy? So there's a lot of, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> naysayers that you come up against and you realize that eh, it's probably better just to zip it up and, you know, not 
not be so verbose about it because a lot of people just really don't want to hear what you have to say, but you get really good at picking up on people who are truly interested, who truly have their own why that makes them cry. I love that term because it, it, it's really how, how I'm finding it through all these years of coaching people is that's what brings people to this is having your own personal um, struggle and your own personal story that uh, you are are motivated to do something as crazy and fly the freak flag with this carnivore way of eating to to really um, you know dedicate a lifestyle change. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you. I mean, I like that. I've not heard the why that makes makes you cry. I mean, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, it, yeah. it was a long time ago, and I think now going to carnivore is is less weird, less freaky. Not much, but it is a little bit less because we've had keto, the keto yeah. sort of craze and low carb. So what have you seen over the last 13 years? What what would you say are the biggest changes in, in your way of approaching carnivore? Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. Way back at that beginning, we we did talk about um, the types of fat, the types of meat, what we were eating, um, not so much how much because it was always about, you know, eat until you're full, eat until you're, you're satiated. Um, and we did talk about, there was a lot about like people like cooking their ground beef and then pouring the fat into the bowl with your ground beef and eating the whole thing. And I think, Oh, really? I don't know about that, but okay. And so, you know, and I'm just bringing this up because it seems like recently there's just been a bigger uh, emphasis on this higher fat version. And I really do think that the higher fat is what naturally um, should be and and was through you know hunting the animal and eating the organs and the fat and the meat because it is really satiating it's delicious um so through i think in the middle part of when i was doing this it just kind of got lost in the shuffle of eating extra fat or making sure you were eating the fattiest cuts of meat and you know just got more into okay eat a couple pounds of meat a day and go on your way so I'm just finding for myself that um, just from really listening to a lot of um, different scientists and physicians and understanding ketosis better and understanding autophagy, I'm not personally a fan of fasting. I just don't enjoy it. I feel like this ketosis and this high fat version of carnivore really is fasting mimicking and it has increased my ketones and dropped my glucose. So I'm not so interested in intentionally making myself go hungry. Um, I 
I, I really feel like whatever you're doing, let's say it's somebody who's has weight to lose um, and, and decides, well, I'm going to fast alternate day fasting, or I'm going to, you know, whatever, two days on, two days off, whatever it is that, you know, you're reading and looking into and doing, um, whatever is getting you down to that ideal weight is really what you have to continue doing to stay down at that weight. You know, you have to think about the fact that, you know, what gets you there is going to keep you there. And I was not thinking I wanted to incorporate fasting for the rest of my life. So um, that's just, of course, just my experience and my opinion. But um, but I think it's really just evolved uh, in a way. It's very interesting because now all of a sudden there's all this talk about electrolytes. We didn't talk about electrolytes back then because there was no companies making them and all the organ supplements. And we didn't really talk about that because Charles Washington disliked organs. I disliked organs. Dana Spencer doesn't eat organs. She's another 14, 15 year carnivore. And we were all thriving incredibly well. And even to this day, so, you know, I'm 58, almost 14 years carnivore. I I don't have anything like my thyroid's fine. My hair's fine. My teeth are fine. My skin is good. Like I'm just thinking I've gone all that time, not eating organs. What makes me think that you have to, but I do understand the nutritional benefits of it. So I have been incorporating or attempting to incorporate a bit of, I happen to like liverwurst. So maybe once a month, I'll get a good sourced, you know, liverwurst and I'll have that for two or three days and then not for another month or two. Um, And I happen to love that pluck seasoning. It's got pancreas, kidney, spleen, heart, and liver, and it's freeze-dried and pulverized into a spice mixture that's fabulous, and I don't taste the organs in it. So I I have that on my counter next to my, my stove, and I sprinkle it on my eggs. I sprinkle it. I just really enjoy it. So that's really where I'm at with the whole organ thing, because I know that topic always comes up because everybody's in a panic because, you know, Stephen, there's so much conflicting information now. And I get it. I feel like, man, I was lucky to be a beginner carnivore back when it was just like, all right, let's find some meat. Let's eat it. (laughs) You know, it wasn't, wasn't all of this, you know, fruit and honey and fasting Mm. and electrolytes and ice plunges and (laughs) red light therapy, you know, you can kind of go a little bit crazy and I, I really feel like the the best is as simple as you can make it. And I say, and then it's hard enough because I say with carnivore, the rules are simple, but execution's not easy because we're so accustomed and acculturated and traditions around food. So much of our lives are, are surrounded, you know, it surrounds food. You know, oh, what are you bringing to the football game? Oh, what are you making for the holiday? Oh, look who brought this in at work, and it's in the break and back in the break room, and it's food, 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 and so it's really difficult to step back and really evaluate your why and to execute it in this kind of environment. Yeah, what was your why? My why was my 30 years of suffering of eating disorder and binge eating and sugar addiction. And I, you know, eating, you know, if anybody out is watching this, who's 
suffered from this kind of thing, even to a lesser extent, maybe than I did, but things are secretive. You wait till somebody goes to sleep. You wait till people leave for work. You uh, go in your car and you go buy the food and then you throw the wrappers out before you get home. And these things are so um, it's, 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 it's humiliating to, to feel like food controls you. And so that was, that was my, I, I real I just felt like I was going to kill myself with what I was doing. So yeah, that, that was a very, very strong why. Yeah. And I noticed that you attribute a lot of your success to being part of a health group. So, so why do you think that made such a difference? I think as humans, we are meant to be in community and meant to um, really connect. And I think when you feel isolated, it is so difficult. And, you know, addictions love isolation. And I say community is the opposite of addiction. And so to be able to communicate and actually feel part of a community, especially if you and your home with your spouse and your kids or your coworkers are kind of like the outcast. And now all of a sudden you can be in a Zoom room on the computer and talk with people who walk the walk, talk the talk, and are interested in their own health in a way like you are and having to achieve it potentially by turning to a fully meat-based diet and how you deal with the social situations and how you deal with work and how you deal with a spouse who has apple pie on the counter that drives you crazy because you're addicted to it. Like all these things, when you're now in a community of people who are there to support you, and even sometimes people say, you know, holds for accountability, it's a game changer. And I've had so many people in my groups, and this is why I, I continue to make the effort and the time to do them is that so many have have written and speak and write of that, of that this has just been a game changer and life changing. And that without this, that they never, they've tried for so long and they've never been able to succeed until now. So that's really, I, I'm, I'm so convinced that, you know, the community is, is the key. Yes. And I, I noticed you mentioned a question that comes up constantly with me, actually. So I'm going to pick your brains because I know people watching will go, ah, yeah, that's my thing. So how do you overcome social situations? Yeah, well, there's there's so many different variations to that and so many different um, ways to handle it. So one is one of the, the best if it allows it, because like I said, everything's a little different, but just going flying under the radar, just, you don't have to tell anybody what you're doing. People really so much stare down your plate and watch exactly what goes in your mouth. I mean, if I'm at a restaurant, I could order a steak and the baked potato and the vegetables, and you just kick them around, push them around, eat your steak. And then, you know, either I, my favorite thing is to take those veggies home so that if I have a guest who's totally non-carnivore, carnivore, which I often do, I can be grilling the steaks and I'll just pull out of the freezer. I have it labeled and they get a baked potato and some beautiful like risotto or whatever, you know, whatever the side dish is that I have. But as why I'm not going shopping and, you know, buying 
salad and vegetables and all that stuff. It's great. But, um, but yeah, so when you're there, it's just like people are really not staring and saying, wow, you didn't eat a bite of your baked potato, right? You know, you're talking and they're eating their food. So I just think that that's one of the best things if it's, if it lends itself to that is just don't talk about it. Um, another thing is when you're in a, let's say a party situation and people like, oh, look at what, you know, Sue made. It's her famous blah, 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 you know, raspberry cheesecake. You got to try this. I've never had anything better. And it's like, you can, one of the best things to say is like, oh, it looks great. Thanks. But I just don't feel good when I eat that. And then it's dead silence. silence. They can't say anything back. Why? They can't deny you your feelings. And I really don't feel good when I eat that. I feel like crap the next morning. I feel guilty because I know I shouldn't be eating it. I know sugar feeds cancer, but you're not going to say to that person right there, oh, no, thanks. Sugar feeds cancer, (laughs) you know, because that's kind of crude and abrupt and kind of blunt. Like, let's not go there with that conversation, although sometimes it can go there. But but just saying that in a very kind way um, is it can can really be effective or. Uh, you know, some people come up and say, oh, are you still doing that meat eating thing? And I go, yeah, and I never felt better. And then where are they going with that? They can't deny you your feelings. And, uh, you know, some people will also continue on the the route of, oh, my gosh, you can't possibly think that's healthy. I mean, no vegetables, like where are you getting all your nutrition from? And I just say, Thanks so much for your concern, but I've never felt better. <laughs> and yeah. you, just, you just stop it right there. Or, and then, you know, then you start, the longer you do this, the more you read, the more you listen to, I say, I say, stay immersed in podcasts and YouTube videos and just keep listening and learning. But, you know, you'll, you'll start developing more and more of a reply to the comments about, you know, how can you possibly think you can be healthy without eating vegetables. And then I'll just say, well, every vitamin, mineral, and nutrient I need, I, our bodies need is in fatty meat. And I feel great. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think and it's so- being confident, isn't it? And in, in you being the example, and I love that you said about the, you know, not preaching because it makes you feel so good at new carnivores. And I have this at least once a week, someone says, I want to tell everyone about it. And I say, don't do that. Don't be that person. Don't be preaching. Just uh, yeah. be the example and that they will come to you. It's very hard at the beginning because, I mean, you said you had a 30-year struggle to find something that, I mean, how long did it take before you realized you were onto something when you when you switched? Yeah, pretty quickly. I'm going to say, well, looking back at a 14-year history of it, it seems quickly. But within the first six months, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. This is, this is it. And I just felt, you know, the, and the more I kept listening and hearing and reading and learning, I was like, yeah, you get pretty confident. Now, of course, I have the advantage of having that medical degree that when people, you know, they, they, you know, not that they respect my opinion more, but they, they, you know, because this is a health issue, because what you eat, of course, you know, People are thinking you're going to kill yourself by eating, you know, all this fatty meat. But 
it's interesting. They don't give a crap what you're, you know, how your heart's doing when you're having pop tarts and ring dings and donuts and ice cream. Like nobody's like coming up to you concerned, right? But now all of a sudden, when you've eliminated all that poisonous, toxic food, they're now all of a sudden they're like, they're they're on your case about what you're eating. So it's and it's amazing because it's what we've ancestrally been, you know, um evolved to to eat. But yeah, I think um. Uh, yeah, the confidence comes from the longer I did it. I honestly, I don't care what anybody thinks. So that's another thing is when you get to that point of this, I, I really, I, I don't give a rat's ass what anybody thinks at all about what I'm eating, because I'm so sure that what I'm doing is right for me, that it doesn't matter. Now, there is the, uh, the you know, you could say, well, gosh, you could, you you know, you're you're so into this, you're, you're not thinking straight. And it's like, no, I have a really open mind and I am constantly still looking at different studies that, I mean, there's really no scientific valid study. Cause we all know, like I know Sean Baker is trying to raise a couple million dollars because you have to sequester people. You can't trust memory from food logs and really the only valid studies were ones that were really already done so long ago when those populations of people were not um, exposed to westernized food. But, you know, I said, thank, I'm so thankful that I was smart enough back 14 years ago to not wait for the study because you'd be still waiting. And, you know, I'm my own N equals one study right here. You know, I'm I, I feel amazing. My health is perfect. I'm on no meds, no diagnosis. My hair is strong. My teeth are good. My skin is clear. So I, I can't imagine that there's something going so wrong in my body by eliminating sugar, grains, seed oils, and processed food. I mean, let's be realistic. And now just because I'm also eliminating plants, which, you know, and all of us, if, if you're listening and you've been in this kind of carnivore world for a bit, you you hear about plant toxins and how many people who were vegetarian and got so sick and flipped to carnivore and got so well so quickly and um, that that plants really have their own biochemical warfare, which is their way of defending themselves. So, I mean, yeah, are there some that are more edible and less toxic than others? Yeah. and do some people survive fine on a vegetarian diet? Yeah, I don't know if they're all not depressed, though. There's such a high rate of depression among vegetarians. There's so many issues. And, you know, I, I think that, yeah, it's it's really tough, Stephen, because part of it is for people who are fairly new to this, let's say overweight, still on blood pressure meds, still kind of finding their way in this. That's the really tough spot. That's the tough spot because you're not at that position to say, yeah, this works great <laughs> because, but you know, a year down the road when you're 60 pounds less and your weight, then now nobody's going to be able to shut you up. But at the beginning, that's why I say, just fly under the radar um, and, and just really kind of um, find your way just with community of like-minded people. <laughs> Yeah, I think what you said about the N equals one, when you get hundreds of thousands of people resolving their issues, real people, and we're all N equals one, um, 
that's data. And you could flip it and say, well, we've done the study on plant-based, high sugar, high carb, and the results are in and it's not good. You know, you, there's so many different ways. You've only got to look down the street and you you know there's obesity, there's diabetes. Yeah, everywhere. And these people everywhere. Are, are not carnivores, are they? They're not carnivores. They are eating a mostly plant-based diet and they're eating Yeah, I'm going to say, I call it instead of the standard American diet, so it'll pertain worldwide, but it's the standard atrocious diet is really what it is because it, it, it is, it's, you know, they've, people have to realize there's addiction experts, addiction specialists on staff at these food companies to make the food as addictive as possible to get people to just keep buying it over and over and over again. And, you know, we're firing up the dopamine, we're hitting, um, you know, what we shouldn't in our brain as far as food goes. I mean, food should be just a nutritional, um, like, event as far as feeding ourselves, not entertainment and not to fill an emotional void. And that mm. that's where the, a part of the, you know, big part of the problem is, is that there's a lot of issues around, you know, so many of us had turned to food for anger, depression, stress, boredom, fatigue, you know, even in happiness, even like, you know, in a, in a happy state, a lot of times it's turning to food and it, it really has, you know, you have to realize that that's not what food is meant for. Food is not entertainment. And that if, if you keep going to food for the wrong reasons and going to the wrong foods because you're addicted to them, it's just slow suicide. Yes. I, I've actually today just finished an interview with a mental health specialist, uh, Natalie West, a psychologist. And we talked about the hyperpalatability and she calls the standard American diet stressed, anxiety, depressed. So wow. I think, uh, you know, when you're in the mental health space, that's particularly interesting. But I want to pick up on what you said. You had that sort of binge eating thing. So what would be your tips for people that are worried about cravings thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to try carnivore, but I've got these terrible cravings. There's no way it's going to work. So, so got any tips from? Yeah. Well, so first of all, that voice, that, that last thing you said, there's no way it's going to work, right? That, that voice that says that is that addictive part of your brain. That's like, don't you dare let that work because then you're stealing my thunder here. Okay. And so you got to remember it every turn every, every turn, everywhere you go, there's, there's triggers. And to get over this, it, it, it's like one to three weeks of white knuckling it. Um, I tell people have a lot of pre-cooked things in your fridge, pre-cooked bacon, pre-cooked pork cracklings, beef cracklings, sausage, whatever you like, even like just pre-cooked um, chicken thighs. So that when those cravings hit, you eat, eat your heart's delight of carnivore food, whatever's on your plan, which should be unrestricted um, types of meat, seafood, eggs. I include butter because I don't react at all negatively to it. And um, at the beginning, I ate a lot of cheese. I don't want to say a lot of cheese. I ate, you know, cheese as a accompaniment when I was making my meat and I would turn to cheese probably more than I should as a snack. And then it, you know, I came to realize like, mm, it's not, 
long-term, this isn't good, but I keep, I have a love hate relationship with it. We could go into the whole dairy and cheese thing, but, but yeah, but you know, eating a brick of cheddar is a thousand times better than eating a single bite of a cookie. Because when you're an addict, you have to abstain. We don't moderate these things. You don't moderate one shot of tequila when you're an alcoholic. You don't shoot up one eighth of a syringe of heroin and moderate that when you're a drug addict. It just doesn't work that way. So it has to be the realization that this is a true addiction. And if you want to get over it, you have to abstain. And the way to do that is just have easy access to, you know, um, other foods, try if it's possible in your situation to get it out of the house, just, you know, try to implore your spouse that this is important and that, you know, this is something that you really need help with. And, you know, it, it because it, the rules are so simple, but the execution mm. is not easy, you know, and, and just, it, it has to be where you have the set plan, which is, like I said, I, for myself, it's unrestricted um, types of meat, unrestricted types of seafood, um, the butter and the eggs. And then, like I said, I kind of go waffle back and forth with the whole cheese thing, because ultimately I feel like it does not belong in my diet. And uh, so I go through stints. I'm, I'm actually just starting a hundred day dairy free other than butter. I, I don't believe butter is uh, falls into that same category as cheese and sour cream and heavy cream. But yeah, so it, it really has to be the fact that for me, nothing else is allowed. Nothing. Like even if I'm at a holiday party and cookies are coming out that are fresh baked and warm, not my food. Nope. Trigger, trigger. Nope. Not my food you know, it's not food. It's, it's, you know, and, and, and get it to the point where you feel it's not that you can't have it. It's that you're choosing not to have it. You know, how detrimental it is to your health long-term, you know, how it feeds cancer cells, you know, how it feeds your addiction and you know, how sick and tired you are of going in and out of that damn ditch and sliding down the slippery slope into, you know, more and more garbage food and how long it takes you to, you know, climb back out and how fast you can regain the, all that effort to lose the weight. So it's, um, yeah, it's really, it's really difficult. And I'll say from knowing very close, um, people that I've met through this whole, uh, carnivore journey that have given up cigarette smoking, alcoholism, and drug abuse, all three of those, um, that, they were able to overcome. And that last one, the sugar addiction, because the person was also bulimic, um, said by far, that was the hardest one to give up. Well, you know, Stephen, you walk, I don't know how it is there, but we walk into the grocery store here as you get two steps into the first, you know, little vestibule of the store and it's floor to ceiling with potato chips and cookies and whatever the the thing of the day that they want you to grab. And then you go into the other set of doors. Now you're in the store. And the first thing you see is the bakery table from their specialty bakery department, right? And all the fresh breads and cakes and pies and cookies. And it's like, can you picture like that? That's, there's like no other drug in this world that's actually pushed and pushed openly upon you when you're trying to abstain from something like that. 
I know. And also the damage from it is denied. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's a win-win for the sugar industry. But anyway, I it's been a long interview, so I'm going to sh- finish with about three questions, nice quick ones. And I would love to have you back because there's a few things you've said that I'd like to have gone deeper on. But let's um, let's ask, get off the food for a second and just talk about something I think we're very similar on, and that's sunlight, getting natural sunlight. I think you're an advocate of that. Yeah, big time, big time, because, you know, I I keep looking at looking at and questioning everything now. So all those years we're told to wear lots of sunblock, stay out of the sun, wear a big hat and um, don't go out in the sun in the midday. All this stuff, everything and wear your sunglasses. Right it's this message that the sun is out to get you and the sun is going to cause cancer in you and you better hide. And, you know, even women's makeup, you can't even purchase foundation without it having sunscreen in it. Right. And it's just the exact opposite. We need sun. We need the sunlight. We need the photons. We need it coming into our eyes directly. So I tell people with no glasses and no contacts every morning, you should at least go out for at least, you know, try five to 10 minutes, 20 to 30 would be great, but face toward the east, even if there's a building in the way, even if it's raining, your eyes are receiving the signal to help your circadian rhythm, your hormones, melatonin, so many things. Our eyes are not just for vision. They are really there also as a connection, a direct connection to our brain because the optic nerve exit the back of our eyes, crosses at the optic chiasm, goes to the occipital lobe. Everything is happening with this light energy coming in um, from not having sunglasses on. So do I wear sunglasses? Rarely. I used to wear them all the time when, of course, you know, we thought we had to protect our eyes from cataracts and macular degeneration. Um, But now after learning so much of all this information and realizing macular degeneration is really caused by seed oils and processed food and junk food and sugar. It's, you know, I, I, I kind of really dove down the the rabbit hole with uh, Dr. Chris Kenobi. He has a great website called cureamd.org. You can put that link in your notes because he, he's an ophthalmologist who literally dedicated like eight years of his life to researching this. And he's a hundred percent sure that those garbage, toxic sludge seed oils are responsible for macular degeneration. It's not age related, you know, and let's say a hundred years ago, it was one in hundreds of thousands that would have macular degeneration one in hundreds of thousands, right? Now over the age of 75, it's one in three people. And even over the age, I think it's over the age of 55, it's one in 11 people. So, uh, and, and so what's changed the air that we're breathing, the water we're drinking or the food that we're eating, what, what is changing? And, you know, he's just done such amazing research into this and I'm, I'm on board and that's how I feel the same way with um, skin cancer and melanoma. It's not from sunbathing, it's from toxic seed oils that absorb into the cells. Our cells are made of lipids and fats. Every wall membrane of every cell in our body ends up getting accumulated uh, with these seed oils that has a 
and it's close to a four-year half-life. And it takes about eight years to exit your body when you stop eating them. And it's those that are so reactive to um, causing problems, you know, from the sun and it's not the sun itself. But I will tell people, I said, if, if you're eating the standard atrocious diet of total garbage, then yeah, by all means, wear your sunglasses and put sunscreen on because you know, that's not going to, that's not going to be a, a, a good outcome if, you know, you're, you're not taking care of yourself. I can, I can speak to that because I was permanently in sunglasses until I went low carb. And the more I took carbs out and the more I took the seed oils out and the cleaner I ate and the more carnivore I become, the less and less I grabbed those sunglasses. And I honestly would have them virtually glued to my face the whole of summer and I live in the UK, so it's not particularly sunny. Um, and I honestly could say maybe three and a half years without sunglasses at all, at any point. Um, you're a, you're an eye specialist. So I, I think, you know, the, there's few people would have looked at this thinking it was all going to be about eyes, but we've touched on it, which is what, which I want to do. My journey is always to be quite broad and talk about you as a person. You've piqued my interest very much with the, the macular degeneration. So I would ask, if you have that and you then change your diet, can you reverse it or do you just stop the progression? What happens there? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting because I get asked that question, but you have to picture that what would happen for me to exactly answer that would be for me to have a patient, let's say three years, five years ago, who had the starts of macular degeneration, right? And me to say, you know, you really should go carnivore, right? And have them actually listen. Now that's not a why that makes you cry. They're kind of like, oh, I'm going to get a second opinion. This wacko is telling me to eat meat, right? So I'm just laying out this hypothetical scenario as to why I don't have like an exact great, um, you know, testimony to say, but I will say because I'm an eye doctor and have been in this carnivore space for quite a while, it's wonderful because I get people who reach out and said, you know, I had early macular degeneration changes and now my doctor is thrilled and can't believe, you know, and, and even with dry eye, with blepharitis, um, you know, I think, well, here's the thing. If you have end-stage macular degeneration where you have what's called geographic atrophy, where there's damage that's actually cellular level, really damaging. Um, I don't believe that's reversible. I don't think all of a sudden somebody blind from it is going to regain their vision. I think, you know, little, too little, too late at that point, but there's this thing called drusen, which is the early changes of macular degeneration that for sure, I'm going to say, I, I would say I, I can't, uh, there's not one scenario yet where somebody has said they're carnivore and their macular degeneration is progressing. So at the very minimum halting and at, you know, the best starting to reverse. And this is not a quick fix. You know, people have been eating garbage for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. We're not going to say, well, I've been carnivore six months and my doctor didn't say my eyes were better yet. Well, really you got 60 years of crap versus six months. Now let's give your body a little break here, you know? But I'm just convinced that there's not any, any system in our bodies, whether it's the, you know, the nerves, the heart, the eyes, the skin, 
the GI tract that's not going to improve and heal. Our bodies as human beings were meant to evolve. So when you remove the toxins and you feed nutritious food, our bodies are trying to get healthy to stay alive. That's that's you know pretty much how our, our bodies work. Yeah, brilliant. That's fabulous. So the last question is, uh, how can people get in touch with you? And do you want to tell us a little bit, a, a bit about your group coaching and your one-to-one coaching? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm mainly on YouTube and Instagram. I don't really do Facebook so much, um, but I think some of my stuff posts there automatically. But basically, that's the best way. Um, I do have a pretty crude website that I've made myself that you can get information on, but. Um, I'll give you the link where people can click to, um, if you want to talk with me, I keep my weekly groups very small. Every week you have the opportunity to ask questions, bring up topics you want to talk about. The week to week community is amazing. I have people that have stayed on with me for over a year now. And in between the meetings, I have a private WhatsApp chat group amongst the people in the group and they're supportive. They share links and podcasts and they talk about maybe a social event they're about to go into and people chime in with, you know, you know, helpful hints. And it's just, again, it's that, that feeling of community and that, you know, so many of the people are, and and like me, I was out there doing this and I was in a family of carb eaters. There was ice cream in the freezer and cereal in the cupboard. And I just didn't know. um, It was hard enough dealing with my own changes to be able to, to really force and dictate what somebody else is now going to eat is, is next to impossible. It's like, you know, you got to deal with yourself first but it, 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 you do can feel pretty lonely. So that's why I just, I love having the group to be able to really have people come together and be able to support each other and, and be a community. Brilliant. Dr. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Stephen. It was my pleasure. Thank you for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to subscribe, like, and comment as it really does help the channel. Don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to subscribe, like, and comment as it really does help the channel. Don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favor to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.